Let's do what we're here to do, all right? Acts chapter 9, and uh, we're going to dive in. I want to, here's how, here's how we've set up today, okay? Somebody asked me yesterday morning if it was a seven-point sermon, and I told him no, it was a six, but really it's a nine, okay? And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to kind of give three, uh, three uh, points of groundwork, okay, that we all need to know as we step into Acts chapter 9 this morning. Three questions from the text that we're going to see, and then three application points. Okay, so three, three, and three. You ready? Yeah. 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 All right, let's do it. First, first thing, first kind of pre-point, okay? Not all of us have, you ready for this? Not all of us have everything together, okay? Look at your neighbor and say, you don't have it together. You don't have it together, all right? You can look back and tell your neighbor back, well, you don't either. Okay, so back up off, all right? All right, and so not every one of us in this room have it together. We don't have it together, especially, especially in the body of Christ, right? Especially in the body of Christ. And we've got to deal with this because when it comes to dwelling together, as God has called us to dwell together as his church, as God's gift to the believer, we often rub each other the wrong way. True? True? Okay. It's true, right? We often rub each other the wrong way. It's okay. This is a safe place. Okay. Um, Saul's conversion that we're going to look at, and I know this is going to be confusing for some of you. We're looking at Acts chapter 9. Okay. And Saul, whom we refer to so often, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament as Paul. Okay. But Paul was Saul pre-conversion. Okay, and so and so then then his name changes, which was which was um, uh, not uh, um, uh, abnormal, as uh, uh, not an abnormal custom as we look at as we look at the scriptures. Okay, but Saul's conversion gives us a unique backstage look into our own lives today. Okay, and that'll make more sense in just a few minutes. But I want us to see in this text today, in Acts chapter 9, the marvelous work of Jesus and his church. Jesus, and we've been talking about this over the last few weeks, is always to be the cornerstone of any church. If Jesus is not the center, then we are some type of social club of like-minded people. And even that might be a stretch. Right? Because we've got a Giants fan on the third row. Okay, and so it might even be a stretch to consider ourselves like-minded people. Okay, but this makes serving inward directed uh, to a point of self-gratification if we think about it. But, but don't miss the point. Not all of us have everything together, especially in the church. Number two, Paul had a serious issue with the church. Paul had a serious issue with the church. We're going to see that Paul was in the business of persecuting Christians, okay? Paul had a serious issue with the church. Why? Because it offended his thinking, okay? Paul had a serious issue with the church. He was persecuting the church because it offended his thinking. Everything that he knew, every bit of knowledge that he had centered on who? Him. Him. And if we're not careful, it's easy to buy into that type of, 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 of belief system, isn't it? I love me. Me's great. Right? I like me. I like feeding me. I like clothing me. I like entertaining me. I like comforting me. 
I like me. And when you come in and ruffle me, we may not get along. And if there are beliefs like I should think about others instead of me, you better go somewhere with that. Right? That's what Paul, that's, that's kind of Saul's thinking here because it rubbed up against um, every bit of knowledge, everything that he knew because everything that he was centered on him. And this is the danger that we must fight against and be on guard for always. Constantly. Constantly. A guy by the name of Charles Spurgeon once wrote, I believe that every Christian ought to be joined to some visible church. That is his plain duty according to the scriptures. God's people, he goes on, are not dogs. That's encouraging, isn't it? Else they might go about one by one, but they are sheep and therefore they should be in flocks. Uh, Dylan read from, from Hebrews chapter 10. I'm, I'm going to continue reading almost right where he le- left off, which we didn't plan that. It's almost like God's in control. But Hebrews 10, 23 through 25, let us hold fast the confession. Again, just what Dylan wrote right, read right into this. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. He who promised is faithful. Verse 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to loving good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the calling that hopefully brings us here today and the text and, and what the text reveals about us that we're sheep and we should be in flocks, that we should be together. Many of us, know the story of, uh, of, of, of Paul's conversion, of Saul's conversion. But most of us miss the meaning of it. The third, the third kind of launching point for us this morning is that we are called to join together. Everybody say together. 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 We're called to join together. And this is where we land today. So let's Lots to see three questions. You ready? Let's read the first five verses uh, here of Acts chapter 9. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Sounds intense, doesn't it? This is, this is Saul. This is the same Saul that writes two-thirds of the New Testament. This is his conversion story, but this is where he's at. Anybody in here that, that has a past, I pray you're encouraged today. Wow, that was a high hand, Mike. <laughs> Woo! All right. Testimony right here on the second row. All right, verse 3. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Underline that, star that. And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now, first question I want to ask you this morning. Okay? When God calls, what do you say? When God calls, what do you say? When God is speaking in your life, when God speaks through a song, when God, when God nudges you to have a conversation, when God nudges you to do something, what's your response? What do you say? 
So let's, let's look at it. First five verses. Saul, a servant of Rome, well-educated well Pharisee, is persecuting the church. How do we know he's educated? Galatians 1.14. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. We know Paul was well-respected, well-educated uh, in those things. Saul is bent, as was every Pharisee in this time, on upholding traditions. And he wasn't changing for anyone. He wasn't changing for anyone, much like we see today. This is how we've done it, and that's that. This is how we've done it. We're not shifting. We're not changing. And Paul, Saul, is a man who's willing to go all out to ensure his way is protected. The Bible records that he was specifically targeting, targeting followers of what? What does it say? The way. I heard somebody say it back there. Followers of the way. Why is that important? John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Later in Acts 24, 14, Saul, Paul admits he too is a follower of the way. So here we see a man who has the permission of Rome to seek out these rebels, these followers of the way. Early believers called themselves followers of the way. Now, Anyone who goes against Rome and Roman law is to be removed. It's important to note that Rome rules by fear with a massive army. Saul has full support and most likely a whole team of soldiers supporting him in this effort. But God calls out to him. In fact, it's red letters. If you have a red letter Bible, it's Jesus who calls out, Saul, Saul, why are, why are you persecuting me? And I want you to notice his response. We see another appearance of Jesus. Who are you, Lord? Saul, Mr. Know-it-all Saul, calls out, Lord. Why? His soul knew its creator. His soul knew its creator just as we should. There was something deep in him that made him realize who's in charge. It's amazing when we see here that we see here when God calls Saul's response. And so my question again, when God calls, what's your response? Saul calls him Lord. Caught, cries out in total submission. And this is a response that we need to get more of Today, submission to Jesus. Falling before the Lord is not an act or a show. It's an act of submission. Saul asks who he is. Lord, who, you know, asks who he is. And this response is, is a clear identification to Saul. So when God calls out to us, what do you say? What do you say? When God calls, what do you say? Number two, even better, when God calls, are you listening? I'm convinced, I'm convinced that God is always communicating, always communing, always trying to get our attention. Let's look at verses 6 through 16. You guys okay? All right, good. Man, it's pretty balanced this morning. Okay, I like it. Woo! But rise and enter the city, and you'll be told what you're to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Can you imagine this picture? Saul, the guy that they are, that they are following to go 
to go raise in the church, right? I mean, to, to persecute anyone following the way. Come back with me in bondage. And Paul falls to the ground in submission, saying, Lord, and, and all the soldiers, all the people that he is with are looking around like, who is he talking to? He has lost his mind. Saul, time for a nap, pal. Because he's, he's talking and, and, and they don't see who he's talking to. Stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So in the submission, he was blinded. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days, he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. Not the same Ananias that we talked about last week from Acts chapter 5. Okay, different Ananias. All right. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. See that? Lord speaks. Response. Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. That's huge. That's huge information for what God is about to ask Ananias to do. He is praying, and, doesn't stop there, he has seen in the vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how evil, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Now, again, let me paint the picture for you. Okay? Ananias, minding his own business. Right? Minding his own business. God calls him, says, Ananias, here I am, Lord. Anything, anything for you. You ever been in this situation? Right? Anything, God, anything for you. Hey, there's this guy, Saul. He's blinded. He's not eating. He's not drinking. He's waiting for someone named Ananias to come to pray with him, to introduce him to me, right? To, 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 to send him on, to come and pray with him, to lay hands on and pray with him so he might regain his sight and go on. I'm going to use him as an instrument for my name. And Ananias is like, God, that's awesome. You got the wrong Ananias. Right? I've heard of this guy. I mean, I mean, you must not be thinking of me because, because here's the thing. He's got the authority from all the chief priests that if he knows that I'm a follower of the way, he, who knows? Ananias might have thought this was trickery. Right? Because, who knows? Right? Because if anyone that, that, that he hears is a follower of the way, he can take into bond. He can persecute. And Ananias is like, are you sure here? Are you sure? And so he goes, he tells God to go back and, 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 and check the script. Right? But God, God's response, go. Go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. When God calls, are you listening? 
Saul gets clear orders from the Lord to get up, continue on his path, go in to wait, but notice he's blind and had to be led by hand to the city. The once arrogant and smart persecutor of the church is reduced to a blind beggar. You ever seen anyone like that? Appearing to have it all together, reduced to nothing. What a perfect picture of us when we realize that we're not in charge. Enter Ananias. Again, different Ananias from chapter 5. He's a servant, spending time doing the best thing we could ever do, which is pray, communing with God. God calls him clearly to do something. To go, to minister to Saul, and he still has reservations. His conversation with God shows us that he has a fellowship with God, though, doesn't it? Like, God, God I'm, I'm with you. Here I am. Here I am, Lord. I, I, I want to be obedient to you. But Saul? Saul? Am I, am, I, am I the best one for this? He asks a question. He asks us a question, right? Have you heard, or excuse me, I've heard how much evil he's done, um, and, 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 and so on. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call your name. He gets an answer. He files a complaint, right? Can I not do this? And then he submits. And this pattern is important for us to see what it takes to serve God ultimate submission. We can question God's orders, but that doesn't mean we aren't following them. Amen? We can question God's orders, but that doesn't mean we're not following them. Ultimately, it has to come down to this. Who will we follow? Psalm 118, verse 8 says this, it's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Ananias shows that his will is in his focus and he obeys the instructions of God. His obedience to do this and to testify about it later reveals God's sovereignty. The testimony of one who follows Jesus always gives glory to Christ. Jesus said, go. This is my chosen instrument. He's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles. If ever there was a calling in the ministry we can cling to, it's right there. A chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles. We may never hear a call like this, but Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the Great Commission, go make disciples of all nations. So, are you listening? When God calls, are you listening? What do you say? And then lastly, this is an important one. When God calls, do you care? Well, of, co- of, of course I do, Pastor. Of course. Let's look at verses 17 through 19. So Ananias departed and entered the house. Laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. 
Ananias' obedience, even in the face of Saul's controversy, is important. It shows us that we too can obey even if it makes no sense in our mind. And, and Ananias didn't just obey. I want you to see what he says. He gets there and he says, he departed, entered the house, laying his hands on him, and he said, Brother Saul. What I want you to see is that Ananias put away all of the preconceived notions he had about Saul. There was nothing that Saul was bringing to the table that was going to stand in between the love that Ananias now had for his new brother in Christ. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Oh, that we would treat one another with the same grace that Jesus treats us. Oh, that we would treat one another in the same way as Ananias walking into where Saul is, fearful still, no doubt, no doubt trembling walking in there, not sure what he's walking into, not sure the status, just wanting and desiring to be obedient to the things of God. Brother Saul. In that, what's he communicating? I love you. I care about you. We're family. We're on the same team. Brother Saul, and then, and then he goes on and says, The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then look what happened. Immediately. Everybody say immediately. God moved. Immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. And he rose and was baptized. He rose and was baptized. He rose and went public with his faith immediately. Can you imagine this? The most unlikely, the most unlikely disciple on a road to continue his work of persecuting Christians, encounters God on the road, is blinded, has to be led, humbled, has to be led into the city to wait for Ananias. Three days, no food, no water. Ananias hears from the Lord. God, can you recheck that? And says, okay, I'll go. This chosen instrument of yours. Right? And, the, and, and some of us have to deal with the pride in that, right? Because, well, why does he get to be this and I'm not? I've followed you more. I've surrendered more. I've submitted more. Why don't you just use me, Jesus? Let's not bother with Saul. He's already made his bed. Mm. You hear the pride in that? But he humbly surrenders to what God asked him to do, goes and says, Brother Saul, God sent me that you may regain your sight. And immediately the scales fall. He can see. He's baptized. And then we see in verse 19, taking food, he was strengthened. So, a couple things here. Saul's conversion and transformation are critical for us to understand why even the worst person the most far-fetched person the, the, the chief sinner as Paul calls himself in 1 Timothy 1.15 can come to Christ and be changed 
And Acts reveals this clearly. Dr. Luke in the book of Acts reveals this clearly. Saul's eyes were open because he heard and because Ananias obeyed and surrendered. And my question for you ultimately this morning as a result of all these questions is where are you on the obedience scale when God calls you? Are you listening? Do you hear His voice? And do you care enough to surrender? The salvation and calling of Saul shows us three big ideas that we need to see. Number one, application. Jesus does the calling. He sets the vision and He directs the mission. Jesus does the calling. If we try to do anything without the Lord's calling, guess what will happen? It'll be empty. We'll fall flat on our face. Jesus does the calling. I was having a conversation this past week, and uh, <clears throat> it, was when, it was when I just clearly knew that God was, was pointing me here, kind of confirmed our message for today. And kind of in the conversation, um, I, I said in a moment of almost, almost frustration, right? Almost frustration. I, I know it may come as a shock. I, I don't get frustrated very easily, ever really. I'm a pastor, you know. And, uh, but, but I, I just, I, I was listening and, and having a conversation and, and I just, I just kind of got to a place where I was like, man, why are we constantly trying to do the Holy Spirit's work? Like, it is not my job to convict you. Sometimes I wish it were. Just like I'm sure sometimes you wish it was your job to convict the person next to you. It's not my job. It's not my job. It's not my job. In the kingdom of heaven, it is not my job to go and get everyone to sign on the dotted line to commit to Jesus. That's not my job. That's not my job. Those two things right there, among many, many others, where, where, um, those of which I also tend to overstep from time to time, but, but, but those are completely and utterly the job of the Holy Spirit. Right? Can we agree on that? And so what's my job? To faithfully do as God leads me to do. That's it. That's it. If He leads me to have a conversation, I've got to be faithful to that. If He calls me to get up one day and drive over there to tell that person about Jesus and tell that person my story and tell that person my testimony, do that. But on the, on the end of that, I've got to be content. And hear me, hear me, hear me, because I think this is very important for us, to, for us to get to today as the church of Jesus in 2022. I have to let the Holy Spirit do His job. Right? We have to let God move. Because Here's, here's, here's a truth 
and I know we know it, we're not God. Amen? We agree? Okay, three of you. We got a long way to go, church. We got a long way to go, family. Right? We're not God. And I believe, I believe, I believe in my heart of hearts. I wouldn't be standing up here if I didn't. I believe that God wants to move today in the same way that He moved in Acts 9. Are we listening? Do we care? Are we just coming and checking the God box and going back to our lives where we're God? Where we make the decisions of what comforts us, what entertains us, what, what, you know, what feeds us and clothes us. Jesus does the calling. He sets the vision. He directs the mission. Number two. Second application point. Church life is messy. It, it's okay to say amen. It's messy. Why? Because we're messy. Right? We're messy people because we are messy individuals with problems. Any parents in this room know that having children is messy. Right? Having children is messy. God knows this also. Saul is in this story a spiritual baby having just come into the faith. He's not, writing a, he's not written a single letter nor taught a single lesson. And Saul needed someone like Ananias to obey God and follow the leading. Saul needed an Ananias. Even Saul, Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, needed an Ananias. Each one of us needs an Ananias. We need someone that, that will be obedient to Jesus and come and say, hey, I've been where you're at. And let me tell you, right? Let me tell you. Um, parents, we're doing that thing we get to do every year, right? Every year, it's called back-to-school shopping. It's so fun, isn't it? Right? You go and with the rest of New England and Canada, that comes down, and you get to go, right? Well, <clears throat> let's, just call, let's just call the bushes a circus, okay? As we walk in, and, and we were in a... We were in a store on Friday getting snacks for, for camp, and the, the lady that was ringing up our groceries and the lady that was bagging our groceries were just so excited to see us. Okay, they were so excited to see us. I'm not being sarcastic. We sent the kids outside because we couldn't deal with them anymore. We just said, go, go out there. Hope, you, hope, hope for the best. Hold a can out. Do something. Okay, try to get back to school money. All right? And... Uh, so we sent them out on the sidewalk, on a bench. They were safe, I'm sure. Um, and Kristen and I were, were, were checking out. And uh, this, again, the lady, and, and there were two, two, two ladies behind the counter. And they just, they saw us and could not contain themselves. Oh, you guys are so cute. I mean, it's not the first time I've heard that before, but I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, right? But, uh, but I was intrigued. And Kristen just kind of turned and looked at me and was like, what's going on? And they're like, we love your height difference. 
we love your height difference. They were like, how tall are you guys? And Kristen, Kristen tried to lie. She said, I'm 5'1". I said, excuse me. I'm calling that truth on the carpet right now. She's 5 nothing. She's like, I'm 5 and 3 quarters of an inch. Doesn't count. You're 5. 5. And, uh, and they're like, how tall are you? I said, well, I used to be 6'8", and then I got back issues. And so now I'm like 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, I don't really know, because I never stand up straight because it hurts too bad. Okay? And, and so... And so, you know, cute, right? And we go, we go into, we go into another store, and 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 it's it's fun to watch the people because I usually stand in the back. I open the door for the family. You know, Vera marches in, owning everything like a boss. She's the youngest. Ezra goes in like the Tasmanian devil, like a hurricane, just ripping things and just throwing things down. Just a a, a single one man wrecking crew. And then, and then Bria and Micah walk in and just try to pick up the pieces of all of it, right? And, and, and then Kristen goes in and quickly turns around and walks out because she just sees everything happening. And she's like, I'm done. And then, and then I go in, right? And, and all the people, so for those of you, if you're new or recent with us, four kids, wife, and me. And so six of us, right? And it's so fun to watch people's reactions when you go in right? It's so fun. It's so fun to watch people's reactions. And last night, as we were walking around and, and kind of finishing up some last bit of shopping for camp and finishing up all, all the packing and all the things that we needed to do to, to, to go to camp for the next two weeks, I had someone look at me and say these words. And some of you have said these words. It gets Ready? Better. It gets better. It gets better. Is that supposed to comfort me in that moment? In that moment of chaos and circus, is that supposed to make me feel better? What they don't know is I'm absolutely loving it. Right? And so if it gets better than this, man, that's awesome. I'm jazzed. I'm pumped. I mean, aside from the absolute exhaustion of the entire thing, I absolutely love it, right? I love it. I love our chaos. I love it. But as any parent knows, right, life is messy. Life is messy. And in church life, in the mess, in the mess, and, and don't miss this, in the mess, anybody that's known and stayed through mess knows on the other side, it gets better. It gets better. It gets better. It gets better. So, church is messy because we're messy individuals. And then lastly, Jesus is perfect. He makes all things new. It's only Him. If we're ever to see people changed, they must meet Jesus. Not just come to church, meet Jesus. We can have all the programs in the world, but without God, they're empty. So the application of that, right, is that there's no perfect church. But there's a perfect God that we serve. And this text shows us that. The worship team is going to come.
This is the same God that Saul met on the road to Damascus. And same God Ananias heard and obeyed. And Mark 2.17 says this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but I've come to call sinners. Who knows? Who knows who will walk through the door next week, right? Saul? Someone who needs Jesus, someone who's desperately searching for something. Maybe they don't even know they're searching. Ananias, someone who is just seeking to be as obedient to God as they can. I can say for certain, I can say for certain that we need Jesus. That we need Jesus. Commitment to serve and to take part in what Christ has already showed us. The commit to serve and take part in what Jesus has already done in us. So, again, when God speaks, are you listening? Do you hear Him? And do you care enough to do something about what He says? I love this passage. And as we close today, my challenge for us is to remember that He's the one in control. We're going to have messes. We're going to have mishaps. We're going to have things that we have to go through. And it gets better. As long as, as long as, He's at the center. Amen? That's why I'm constantly saying, that's why I stand up here and say probably three out of four Sundays a month, the best is yet to come. Because we have yet to see, we have yet to see, we have yet to see, um, Warren Wearsby, D.L. Moody Institute, said this, that the world is yet to see a people on fire for Jesus together. What a passion. What a vision. Amen. Let's be that. Will you listen to Jesus today? Father, thank you that you're a God that still speaks. That you're a God who still calls. That you're a God who desires us. That you're a God who wants to connect with us. And so God, I pray that we would listen. I pray that we would surrender. I pray that we would lay down what we need to lay down. I pray that we would follow you. In Jesus' name we pray.